Hey, we're in a series right now called God's Plan. How many people were here last week for Pastor Stephanie Hill? Wasn't that incredible? Did anybody get in the secret place last week? I see that hand, Riley. Come on, you demand. You demand. Such a powerful, encouraging word that uh, the only place where our fuel comes from is by being in the secret place, which simply just means being alone with God. You know, it's not like some like, like okay, you got to hop into your closet and that equals the secret place. No, it's just being with God wherever you're at. It's such an incredible time that we can just simply cherish. So we're in this series and we're looking specifically at God's plans for humanity, for us, for me, for you. And I want to open up tonight with just two two uh, writings, sayings, poems, um, just, just kind of something just basically that are going to contrast each other. And then I'm going to ask you a question. So the first is going to be up on the screen. And you might know where this is from, but we're going to read it together, and uh, we're going we're gonna to then dissect what it means, okay? Does that sound good? Is that all right with y'all? Some of you get it already. So God's plan, God's plan. I hold back. Sometimes I won't. Yeah. Everybody give me a yeah. Yeah. I feel good. Sometimes I don't. Give me an eight. Don't. I finessed down Weston Road. Eight. Give me an eight. Give me a nest. Might go down a G-O-D. Yeah. Wait. Okay. Okay, I'll explain that in a moment. Okay, all right, next, next, next writing. One of these people is alive and one of them is not alive, but still the writings are influencing culture. I'm just gonna about to make a point. The next one, we can put it up on the screen. I have it on my iPad and I'll read it for you. And it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, the question I have for you guys is what do you guys think our culture buys into more? In 2018, what, 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 do we, what do we practice? What do we demonstrate in culture between the first writing and the second writing? Which one do you guys think it is? Help me out. I have an answer, but I'm going I'm to ask y'all. All right? Which one do you think our culture demonstrates? Okay, okay, you guys got it. The first one, the first one that it demonstrates, which I agree with you. And obviously you guys figured it out. It's the lyrics of our theme, which is God's plan, a song by Drake. And obviously I'm just, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not promoting Drake in any way. Do I like hip hop? Yes. But his, uh, if, if you've seen this music video, it's a music video of him like giving away a million dollars in Florida. And it was, it was pretty inspiring. I'm not going to lie to you, but really, as you can see in the lyrics, it's actually all about him, all about Promoting himself to culture, making culture think that he's going to go down a G-O-D. He wants culture's memory bank to understand that. One thing I learned in college by a, a pastor, a preacher, teacher, a guy named Mark Driscoll. Has anybody heard of Mark Driscoll? There's lots of mixed reviews on him. Uh, he's said a lot of good things and a lot of dumb things. I'm not going to lie to you. But here's one thing that he said, that in everything we see in advertisements, in film, in art, in, in, in TV shows, in music, and everything we ingest, we intake, we must evaluate these things up to the mere 
mirror of scripture. We got to put them in the mirror and evaluate, does these things align with scripture? And he said and explained this, and I'll explain it to you guys, that everything we ingest, everything we intake can land in one of three camps. So I'm going to explain these camps to you, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to understand something this, this evening. So the first camp is the question that we have to ask is, can we receive this? So there's a lot of good things that culture has to offer, such as like, or technology, like technology, the internet. It's, it's, it can be an incredible thing. It can be a bad thing. So the question that we got to answer is, are the things that these things, are the things that technology is being used for, do they align with scripture? Maybe some things in culture. Do these things that we're seeing in culture, music, and film, do they align with scriptures, such as things like justice, love, peace, kindness, forgiveness? If, if they do, not everything is bad in culture. Let me, I just want to tell you that. If they do, then one, we receive them. The second. So, the second camp that everything we ingest, we intake can be in also is this thing called the camp of rejection. So, i.e., drunkenness, sex before marriage, illegal drugs, adultery, pornography. When we put these things to the test of scripture, let's just be honest, they fall short. They fall short. And here's the real reality is if we don't understand that, if we don't actually it, like, sorry, if we don't actually process what's going on, if we don't, whether we realize it or not, and if you're just honest and I'm honest, it'll slowly eat away at our morality and our values that Christ and the Bible has sown into our lives. So we gotta, we gotta test it against scripture, everything that we see and everything that we intake. So the third is redeem. Now here's a tricky one. Certain things we can take from culture and redeem it, such as, again, as I said, the internet. It can be used for child pornography. It can be used for streaming a church service. You know, internet's not wrong, but it can be used. We can redeem it. Another great, inc- a great, incredible example of things we can redeem is sex. God created sex. Amen? Come on. It's one of the best things on the planet. I'm just being honest with you. I got proof. Where's my pregnant wife? That, anyways, she's, she's probably... Okay, real quick story. So she's 39 weeks. She's not in here. Okay, good. She's 39 weeks, and uh, I was balling balling out hard last night, and my phone had died. And after, uh, well, we actually lost. About to say I hustled these fools, but um, uh, we lost. And I went, and my phone was dead, so I didn't see anything. Then Justin was like, "James, two missed calls from Karina." I'm like, "He's like, it's happening." I'm like, "No, no!" Like, and then she called me five times, but actually what ended up happening after Pastor Michael and Jenny dropped, we had a communion night last night for our worship team, and uh, after they dropped them off, she didn't have her keys, so she was just locked out of the house, sitting in the cold for like an hour, and my phone was dead. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we usually have a spare key, but it was like iced under the snow. Anyways. Anyways. So, sex is an incredible thing, but, but... If we receive it the way that culture teaches, which is all we, as we all know, it's like have sex with as many people as you want, uh, is it all good, it's just purely physical, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If we receive it like that, it can be incredibly damaging. Let's just be honest. Let's just be real for a moment. There's, there's consequences. And it's not that God can't redeem any of that in the slightest. He is way bigger than any of our failures and mistakes, but there will be consequences. So the question is, do we reject sex altogether and just abstain and be, you know, become like, like, oh, I was about to say nuns or monks and stuff like that? Like, no, no, obviously not. Obviously not. So therefore we have to redeem it. So we got to do it the way that God designed for. And here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing. 
A lot of times back in the day, we'd talk about like being a radical Christian. Like, I'm going to, you know, like sacrifice my life. And back in the day, it's, it was like a big deal and it was a big thing. It's like, yeah, I'm going to go to Asia and like be a missionary and sacrifice. I'm going to be a radical Christian. But here's the funny thing is that in 2018 in North America, being a radical Christian, literally just, all you got to do is just be virgin until you're married, give away 10% of your money and, uh, and literally watch less TV. And people look at you and think you're like some sort of weirdo. It's, it's, it's honestly pretty funny, but you can do that, and it's crazy. So looking at all these things, we got to understand that everything we take in, we got to filter and put into one of these three camps. And if we do that, here's, here's the important part. We are much less likely to be colonized by culture, by what we take in, and less likely to end up looking like everybody else around us. Because here's why I'm talking about this. Maybe you've noticed, and I even notice it myself some days, that there's, if we're honest, you know, you know, we're all like crazy or living worldly or wild, but there's nothing necessarily distinctly different between a Christian and, you, and, and your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus or, or your barista or your server or your whatever, your, your teachers or whatever. It's, again, it's not that we're living a, a, a crazy, like, oh, every, you know, Christians are getting smashed uh, every weekend. No, it's not, it's not that necessarily. But in many ways, the church has adapted to the world's culture for the sake of being culturally relevant. Have you heard that before? We want to be relevant, so therefore, unfortunately, sometimes we compromise and we go with what culture says. And and this was a super popular message going on in the past ten to fifteen years within the church. I, I study church, I work at a church, I've seen it, and I've seen it in church history where where Christians, churches, denominations, they usually end up in one of two camps. Which the first camp is syncretism. So syncretism, simply what it means is it's, it's the amalgamating of all kinds of different belief systems, religions. It's like the people with the bumper sticker. That, have you seen this bumper sticker? It's huge in the States. It's like, it says coexist. It has like a cross and like, like the... Have you seen that bumper sticker? So we either end up in basically mixing and mashing everything together. And what it ends up doing is manifesting itself in our lives. And we eventually, unfortunately, become more aligned with current culture than biblical culture, which leads, honestly, to a half-hearted effort in following Christ. Or the second camp is secretarianism, which basically means pure, utter devotion to a religion, which usually ends up manifesting is, is like, it's like those, those Christians that are like better than everybody else that are like like super judgmental that are like rules and regulations they're they're perfectionists and this was a huge message this was a huge trend in in the christian culture in the 90s which was this is what they would say maybe you've heard this like okay we got to be separate from the world have you heard that before be separate be separate like which which let me let me help you understand this this is a gross misinterpretation of John chapter 7 verses 14 to 15 which says Jesus is talking and he's saying to his father he says i have given them your word and your word and the world has hated them that's often what happens in us when we actually follow Christ Jesus said you're going to be hated you're going to suffer and stuff we can expect but here's what he says now because they are not of the world not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And he says this, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Now, here's the big difference. Jesus didn't ask us to be separate from 
the world. He just prayed and asked us that God would deliver us from the evil. But because the church bought into this mentality, bought into this, this, this lifestyle of like being separate, like maybe you're a youth in here and you're like, your parents like, we need to shelter you. So therefore, Christians started own Christian schools and started homeschooling their kids, which I was homeschooled. It's not a bad thing. God bless all the homeschoolers in here. What's up? Represent proud of it, but it, it, it ended up in like this, this sheltering mentality that really, let's just be honest, it didn't help anybody because as soon as I got an ounce of freedom, I went buck wild, and uh, thank God that Jesus, 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 you know, redeemed my soul, which is amazing, but as a result of buying into this be separate culture, Christians have created the subculture. Again, as I said, Christian schools, Christian clubs, Christian sport teams, Christian everything, Christian everything, and what it's done is it's produced Unfortunately, the repulsive judgment, hatred, and bigotry, that, that is what most people think when they think about Christians. Because it, it's, it's given us a bad reputation. So because of our bad reputation in the 90s and like the early 2000s, the church has now basically went from all law to all grace. The church has made the pendulum swing from secretarianism to syncretism for the sake of being culturally relevant. And as a result... If we're honest, Christians have just, just lost their saltiness. I'm not saying it in the way that you guys are thinking, like, oh, don't be salty, bro. Like, no, I'm not, you know, like, salt and light, you know, the parable of Jesus, you are salt and you are light. Christians have just lost that in, in a lot of ways. Not everybody, but in general in North America. If we're just honest, We've lost our difference. Our ability to be set apart, not separate. To be in the world, but not of the world, which is the coin that Billy Graham coined for every Christian. Be in the world, but not of the world. We've lost that ability. So how does this relate to our, our God's plan for humanity? Well, I believe, and you can quote me on this. You can take this to the bank that the one thing that the church has bought into most, out of all the things that culture is trying to teach us, the one thing is that we've bought into the gospel of self. That we are God. That we even see it in the Drake song, you know, he's a G-O-D. Like, he holds back sometimes, maybe he doesn't. He feels good sometimes, he doesn't. It's like, that our feelings and that our comfort and our happiness level is the most important thing on the planet. That we create our own fate. We create our own destiny. We, we, if we work hard, we can accomplish anything, and it's all about us, and it's all about me. And where this comes from, it derives from the Darwinian theory of evolution, which is the strong shall survive and the weak shall fail. Have you heard that? And what it does is it ends up translating into a lifestyle of, for people, Christians including, that it's just, i got to step on people to get ahead of them. I'm going to ditch great friends the moment they disagree with me or no longer have value to me. You know, i got to search for that pay raise so I can buy that ha- car, house, clothes to impress people. It translates into begging for more holidays, to vacation, to make people jealous of your life. Only putting on your best face on social media, but rarely being honest with actually where you're at and who you are you are. And represented in today's popular hashtags, it's, it's selfie, it's OOTD, it's you do you. It's like, like it, that, that's what it translates into. And we have bought into that. 
We've bought in. Do you guys know what OOTD, Karina, is? Do you guys know what it is? Outfit of the day? Come on. I've never used that hashtag. Not that vain. I don't need a hashtag to let people know I look good. Somebody. Sheesh. But we bought into this gospel of self. Does anybody disagree with me? Maybe you disagree. Don't put your hand up because I'll call you out. But like, let's just be honest. Just be honest. What is the world about? It's about serving your own needs. Not everybody, but in general. Let's, like, determine your own faith. And here's, again, here's a litmus test, whether you're doing good in that, whether you're succeeding or not, is whether you're happy or not. Whether I feel good or not. We do this. Let's just be honest. If we had a bad day at work, what do we do? We medicate with Netflix or, or food or alcohol. We medicate with these things to remove the pain so that we can feel good. But what does it do? What does it do? We're never actually pleased, ultimately. We're never actually fully pleasured or satisfied. And this mentality, it just, this mentality of serving self, it's always an empty pit that you will never fill because there's always another iPhone upgrade to get. There's always another fashion coming in style, another vacation spot to visit, another pay raise to get, a more fulfilling sex part to find a more exhilarating high and we think somehow these are actually going to satisfy us we think we think that it's going to but this friends is a complete fallacy that the devil has tricked a culture into thinking and acting out in because he knows understand this he knows that if he can keep us busy with just nonsense man then he can distract us from truly finding out who we are and what we were made for. If he can keep us on this track that culture says, bigger house, better car, hotter wife, richer husband, whatever. If he can keep us on this mentality, he can distract us. He can distract us from truly finding out who we are and what we're made for, which is God's plan. You see what I did there? Redeemed the song, you know? We can redeem it. I don't want people thinking God's plan is what Drake is saying. I want people thinking God's plan that it's, hey, who has he created you to be? What has he created you for? So I just want to, again, reiterate some of the effects that when we receive culture's propaganda and don't filter it through scripture. First thing, as I just said, it's a never-ending unsatisfaction that will only tell you that you'll never arrive. You'll never have enough money. Your spouse isn't good enough for you, so find a new one. You aren't relevant, so you'll spend your life's energy on trying to maintain your relevance. The second thing, here's some of the effects. It'll create a pit in your heart that only tells you that you're not good enough and that you're lesser than, that you don't fit the bill, that you're out of place, that you don't belong here, that you're ugly, that you'll never be complete or whole. And the third thing, some of the effects is it most importantly, it creates a separation from the culture that Jesus exhibits and that he has on offer for us, which is the culture of selflessness, not selfishness. There's a big difference, even though they sound the same. And I can ask you the question. It's like, does anybody actually want this life of never being fulfilled or satisfied? 
I'm just going to assume that nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. But somehow culture has convinced us, persuade us into buying into this. I do it. I'm just going to be honest, man. It's like, I need new clothes. I need new shoes. You should see my closet. I got like 50 pairs of shoes. It's, it's like a sin, but I look good. You know, like, like, like uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not that vain. But it's like, like, we buy into it. New stuff, new things, new toys, new relationships, new whatever, and we're never fully satisfied. We buy into it. I buy into it. So let's look at what's the alternative lifestyle that Jesus has modeled and has on offer. Well, as we probably understand, it's not selfishness, it's selflessness, which is radical. In today's day and age, that is, that is a radical idea to live in that mentality. It's, man, it's crazy to like not think about yourself first. Jeez, that's crazy. That's crazy, and it's noble, and we like it, but to live it is a different story. And I want to read some verses that, that, again, this is the message of Christ. This is the life he demonstrated. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envious. Love does not brag. It is not puffed up. It is not rude. It is not self-serving. It is not easily angered or resentful. It is not glad about injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That sounds pretty selfless to me. We love that. We say it at weddings, but do we live it? Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Yeah, selflessness. Mark 12.31, the second most important commandment after love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, heart, mind, soul, and strength is to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, pretty selfless. Galatians 5 verse 13, for you brothers were called to freedom, only, only do not turn your freedom into opportunity to gratify your flesh, but through love, make it your habit to serve one another, yep, selflessness. Romans 2 8, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Because you're just never going to be satisfied. And lastly, 2 Timothy 2, 3 to 1. It's a little bit longer, but this describes exactly where our culture is at. This is written 2,000 years ago. Remember this. In the last days, there will be many troubles because people will love themselves, love money, brag, and be proud. They will say evil things against others and will not obey their parents or be thankful or be kind of the people of, sorry, be be the kind of people God wants. They will not love others, refuse to forgive, will gossip, will not control themselves. They'll be cruel, will hate what is good, will turn against their friends and will do foolish things without thinking. They'll be conceited. They will love pleasure instead of God. And will act as if they serve God, but will not have his power. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, just stay away from these people. I mean, it's not. I mean, are you, are you with me? Am I alone? Like, does, it, does this not sound like our culture? Is this not an accurate de- description of North American culture? I'm not, and again, I'm not pointing this at you specifically, but just culture in general. Maybe even when you look at the church, does this, man, gossip. Christians are notorious for that. 
love of money, love themselves, proud, refuse to forgive. Woo! I know some Christians that it's hard to forgive. Even when Christ has forgiven them for unlimited amount of things. Sounds like our culture. So then the question that you're probably thinking is, well, James, like how do we how do we actually adopt the lifestyle that Jesus demonstrates and has on offer for us tonight? Well, to be honest, it is a wild journey. It's a of daily discovery and refinement. It doesn't just happen overnight, but I'll tell you this, that it's the most fulfilling yet challenging adventure you'll ever be on. Life's a paradox. It's simple, yet it is complicated. I'm not going to tell you like that there's like a 10-step program to becoming more like Jesus. It's not that simple, even though yet it is kind of that simple. You want 10 steps? I'll give you 10 steps. Because, hey, sure, we can, again, like culture says, you know, like lose 40 pounds in two weeks, you know, like I want to do that. Like find the lover you've always dreamed of. I want to do that. Become quick, rich, rich quick. You know, like who, who doesn't want to be rich quick? We had a Q&A at youth a couple weeks ago. And one of the questions was, how do you get rich without working hard? And just understand that this is kind of, this is what a lot of kids see. How many people are making a living off of just social media and like posting stuff, getting paid to like, post advertisements just because they have lots of followers. They're all, how do I make a YouTube channel, James, that's going to make, make me rich? This is, this is the thing we need to think about. So it's, 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 it's complicated. We buy into the nonsense. But here's a couple things that maybe you could implement. And it's, here's the thing. It's the things that we know are right, but just aren't glamorous. Because in the moment, they don't make us feel good, like reading your Bible, worship, prayer, going to church every Sunday, serving, be generous, feeding the poor, not getting bitter, but forgiving, being kind, loving God, loving people. And for really to adopt this lifestyle as a community of Calgary, man, it would take a lot of work. It would, we'd need like a seven-year seven series with a ton of homework on how to become like Jesus. The point, here's my point, is that, again, adopting the lifestyle of Jesus doesn't happen overnight. But I do have two practical things for you to take home with you this week. Just to start on your journey. The first one is to check how easily you're pleased. Check how easily you're pleased or easily you're disappointed. C.S. Lewis said this, and it's up on the screen. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. When we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it's meant, what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we're far too easily pleased. Think about how easily you're pleased. If your life goal is to feel good, then I just encourage you, if that's like your only goal in life, then hey, go ahead. Like you'll temporarily, you'll be fulfilled temporarily through drugs, through alcohol, through multiple sex partners. Like if that's your goal, like just go ahead, try it, try it. But at the end of the day, I can guarantee this, that man, we will, you will feel unfulfilled. So here's the first thing is just every day, ask yourself what motivates you. What motivates me? Why am I doing this? Why am I, why am I, why am I striving for this? Just, just, just try that. 
If you're writing it down, ask yourself, how easily am I pleased? Why am I doing this? What's motivating me? The second thing is filter everything you ingest through Scripture. Don't just take everything that you see from culture. Determine what camp it lands in, whether to receive, reject, or redeem, and actually go with what's right and not just what's easy. Because here's the thing. So we're called to look like Jesus. Jesus died on a cross. If you're new here and you have no idea who Jesus is, but maybe you can, re- you can relate to that feeling of being empty. The only thing that can satisfy is Jesus, is his life, his call, his desire for you. The only thing that can fill that hole in your heart is relationship with Jesus and becoming more like him. And here's the reality. It's not easy. Again, if you didn't know, you see more advertisements in a day than somebody 50 years ago saw in a lifetime. We're constantly being indoctrinated by quick 40-second YouTube ads, by television. And I, am I saying all these things are evil? No, but if we, if we let them go unchecked in our mind and in our heart, we'll soon enough end up looking like them and not like Jesus. And God's plan is not for that. And maybe this is a hard message to hear because you're like, you know, I, I don't, sometimes maybe I don't even, I look the same. I act the same. I do the same things. And maybe there's some wrestling that we have to do. But here's the good news. It's that we're not alone in it. We're not alone. In a moment, we're going to break out into just some, just with whoever you came with. If you are sitting alone, just hop in with a group. We're just going to have a discussion. We're going to have a conversation about this. I know we're used to like, all right, let's worship again, and that's powerful, and that's incredible, and I, I so value that. But sometimes I feel that we just need to just talk about it. Because here's the thing. Just imagine this. Imagine if we, as the community of Tehillah, as the church represented in Calgary, if we actually caught on to this. And caught on to a lifestyle of selflessness because we admire the Mother Teresas, the Nelson Mandela's, the Martin Luther King's that were completely selfless. And it's great that there's one or two or three or five certain people that we can look up to. But here's the thing. They didn't start like that. They started here with little by little checking their heart, checking what their motives were. Were they humble? What was their motivation for doing these things? They didn't start immediately becoming these incredible people. Man, they started with just reconciling culture with scripture and saying, what is Christ asking me to do? And again, it's not a transformation overnight. It's little by little. It's the slow daily grind. And if you're discouraged and you're on that grind, again, here's the good news. You're not alone. You're not alone. You have a church that loves you, that believes in you. You have people sitting around you that are in the same boat that can help each other. So what we're going to do, simply, we got a couple questions up on the screen. We're just going to turn some background tunes on and just... We're going to have some conversation and feel no pressure to do this. If you got a role, God bless you. Love you. We just, I just pray that you would, this, would, this would sit in your heart, that God would help us come from selfishness to selflessness. Because imagine, what if not just one, not two, not three, but all of us started this?
There's a lot of work to do in this world, but many hands make light work. And unfortunately, the church has lived off of 20% of the people doing all the work and giving all the money. But imagine if 100% of people could say, hey, I'm going to play my part. I'm going to pick up the load. So let me pray for you. And then just hop in a circle. Maybe meet somebody new. And again, if you got a role, bless you, love you. You're amazing. Let's just talk about these things. So God. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would identify some things in us. God, that you, this wouldn't be a message of like condemnation, but of conviction. There's a difference. God, guilt and shame is not from you, but conviction which spurs us on to living a greater life, a life more fulfilled. God, I pray that your conviction would be here so that little by little, minute by minute, choice by choice, decision by decision, we'd be able to become more selfless like you, Jesus. God, that we love our world better, that we'd be better friends, We'd be better husbands and wives or girlfriends or boyfriends. We'd be better sons and daughters that realize that the only thing that can fulfill us is you, Jesus. So I pray that from tonight, we go on the journey of actually living that out. Living out what you have called us to. Not being colonized by the culture that's around us but by exhibiting and and inhabiting the culture that you have on offer for us tonight. So God, it's not glamorous, but it's the best life. It's the best life. So God, bless these people. Would they have some riveting conversations and help each other together with unity move forward to look more like you, Jesus.